challenging words in that hymn, aren't they? Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. And so such challenging words, so easy to sing, so easy to sing. But I wonder, does it drop to our hearts, really, what we've sang? We're turning again this evening, obviously, to the book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah, and we're setting up camp in the second chapter, Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're going to take time to read the full chapter. And uh, God willing, we'll spend the next couple of Wednesdays in this particular chapter. I'm hoping to get through to verse 16 this evening, and then we'll consider the final part of the chapter next Wednesday evening. Or I would like to entitle our study this evening, Preparation for the Lord's Work. Preparation for the Lord's Work. Nehemiah chapter 2, please, and the verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of Ataxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not, bef- I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant hath found favour in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which have appertained to the house, and for the wall of the city, And for the house that I shall enter into, and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Amorite, heard of it, It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. 
Then I went on to the gate of the fountain and to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whether I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. And we trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this evening. After receiving news from his brother Hanani, and since Nehemiah's prayer in chapter 1, where he pleaded with the Lord for help regarding the disrepair of Jerusalem and its walls, four months had passed. And during those four months, many other Jews would have returned to their homeland and returned to the city, Jerusalem. But there hadn't been a great deal of work done by those who had returned. No work to restore the walls in Jerusalem and no work done to the temple. Of course, the dwelling place of God in those days. Four months of fasting and praying and weeping and seeking the Lord day and night. Praying that the Lord, first of all, would grant him relief in the king's presence as a cupbearer. And as he would go and he would request of the king and seek opportunity to be given permission to return to Jerusalem and begin the work. And you know, in his continuous prayer, in Nehemiah's continuous prayer, surely in our little series so far, there's a lesson that the Spirit of God has been teaching both you and I. And that's that patience and prayer go hand in hand. Patience and prayer go hand in hand. In Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16 we read, Whoever believes will not act hastily. Whoever believes will not act hastily. And of course, Nehemiah had spent much time before the Lord and waiting in him. And that's a characteristic of the child of God. Patience and prayer go hand in hand. Now as we leave chapter 1 to set up camp in chapter 2, we're going to see three different scenes unfold here. It's a little bit like watching the scenes of a play here if you went to see a show of some sort. There's three scenes in chapter 3 or chapter 2 that we're going to consider. Three scenes And you know, I love it quite often when I'm reading scripture. I love to imagine stepping into the scene and looking around me and considering the picture, thinking of the feelings of the characters, thinking about what it looked like, feeling just looking around and taking a moment to consider, even stepping into the pages of scripture, if you like, to consider all that's going on. That's what we're going to do over the next two weeks. We're going to step into these three scenes And we're going to see what lessons we can learn and what God was doing for Nehemiah. The first of the three scenes is in the royal palace in Shushan. We've referred to this scene a couple of times in our opening studies. And we read about that from verses 1 to 10 in chapter 2. And then the second scene, we'll travel with Nehemiah across the river and we'll visit the ruined walls in Jerusalem. That's the second scene in this little chapter. So there's the preparation in the royal palace. Then there's the preparation that Nehemiah has as he visits the ruins. And then finally there's this third final scene that we'll consider next week. 
where Nehemiah, he prepares the remnant people for the work ahead and for the building of the walls. And there's that lovely famous verse that's found there where Nehemiah says, Arise and build. And we'll think about that great verse next week. But we're going to think about the scenes before that. And let's begin tonight in the palace. Let's go to the palace. Now, I know it's not children's meeting, but this picture I thought was really good in helping us step in and see sort of what the, what the sort of what would have looked like. And I know you're not children, so I'm not trying to treat you like children tonight, but I think it helps us create this picture. But here we are in verse 1. The preparation begins in the royal palace for the work that's going to be done in Jerusalem. And it says that the king, that Nehemiah was before the king and he had his cup and there he was, the cupbearer. And Nehemiah, he's holding the cup, the cup up to the king. And Nehemiah, he says in this first verse, I took up wine and I gave it unto the king. And after tasting it, of course, and he would have made sure that it was drinkable. And then it says, now I had not before time, I had not been before time sad in the king's presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Now we've learned in our previous studies that Nehemiah, he was a man of burden, that he was a man of prayer and that he was a man of action. And that's what made him God's man of faith and God's man for the hour. And I don't want to belabor the fact of his burden. But here we still see that Nehemiah's burden, it continues. It continues in the second chapter. And you see, what happens is he gets an answer to prayer. You'll remember his prayer in the first chapter. And he's been, he's been praying that the Lord would give him an opportunity to speak with the king. And here the, the prayer is answered. The king has spoken to him and here's his opportunity to, to share his burden with the king. But not only that, but this burden will continue throughout the book of Nehemiah. It's not a burden for the walls necessarily anymore or a burden for his burden to speak with the king. But it's his burden for the Lord's work. And it never disappears. We'll discover that as we go through each of the chapters in the incoming weeks. And you know, if you are to be involved in the Lord's work, if you are to take part, if you are to serve the Lord as you ought, you need to be prepared to have a continuous burden. A burden for the people you work with. A burden for their souls. A burden for God's people. That you will love and care for them. A burden. And a burden will have implications on you in the Lord's work. And let me say something just as I say this. If you don't have a burden for something in the Lord's work, you need to get on your knees tonight. You need to ask the Lord to plant the burden in your heart because we're saved to serve. We're saved to serve. And we're saved to serve him with all our hearts. I wonder are you doing that tonight? But you know, as I think of this burden and the continuous burden that we have in the Lord's work, there's no greater example that I can give you than that of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we read prophetically that the Lord Jesus would be the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We all know as God's children this evening what it meant for the Lord Jesus Christ to leave the realms of heaven and say, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. And for the Saviour to leave the splendour of heaven and all the glory that he had 
the place where he was eternally worshipped and uh, by the angels. And he came and he replaced that. And he came to this earth to be a servant and to bleed and to die on the cross and to be buried and to victoriously rise again. But you and I, we, we know the implications of the burden that the, the, the Son of God had in his heart. And if you don't know, all you need to do is visit Gethsemane, where you see the Lord there, and he's crying out to the Lord. He's crying out to the Father, and he's saying, Not my will, but thine be done. There was a burden. There was a burden at Calvary. And now the lesson that we can derive from Nehemiah, but chiefly the Lord Jesus Christ is burden and the Lord's work. It always necessitates a burden, but it also necessitates crucifixion of self. Dying to self and giving all to the Lord. I wonder if you got that. I wonder, are you crucified to self? wonder if you received a burden from the Lord for his work. It means laying down your life for others. That souls might be one for Christ. And this great burden that Nehemiah had, it led him from a life of privilege in the palace to a life of service in the midst of the awful ruin and desolation. It took him from attending to the high emperor, the king of Persia, to helping the lowly and despised Jews who were just out of captivity. If you're wanting to do a work for the Lord, and no matter what it is, how small or large a capacity you may feel it is, you need to be prepared to be in the place to receive a burden from the Lord. And you know, he keeps receiving the Lord's burden over and over again. It's renewed. Here's his answer to prayer. Ataxerxes has, has now said, said to him, why, what's wrong with you? You're sad. And then you see there in verse 4 that King Ataxer, she says unto him, for what do you make request? What do you want, Nehemiah? What do you want? Answer to prayer. Nehemiah says, give me grace in the king's presence this day. And Ataxer, she now turns to him and says, what do you want? What do you require of me? So Nehemiah rushes in and he just immediately tells Ataxer, she's all that he wants. No. No, you see, he continued in prayer. He continued in prayer. Now I want you to note this. I think this is important. Nehemiah's opportunity to share his burden, it comes unexpectedly. It's at a banquet where he's serving wine to the king and to the queen. And the, we know the queen's there because we read that in verse 6. And you know the Bible, it's a historical book too. And you can see insights into the Persian etiquette. And you can see it in the book of Esther. And you can see it here as well. And let me tell you that the presence of the queen would have suggested that this was a private party. It was unusual for the queen to attend functions that were of a more formal nature. So the fact that the queen was there, it was an intimate meeting. And therefore, it might have loaded more pressure onto Nehemiah as he spoke before the queen. You see, the other issue with the Persian, with the Persian etiquette before the king was this. As the feast proceeded, the king observes that this downcast and sad face of Nehemiah, and he discerned that it wasn't because the cupbearer was sick, but he, he realized that there was an emotional matter that was going on. And a gloomy face on, the, on an occasion like this before the king was seen as extremely bad manners. And in fact, the king could have ordered for Nehemiah to have been killed. That's how serious it was to be sad in the king's presence. Could have led to banishment, execution. 
And the Persians thought it was impossible for anyone to be sad in their king's presence. Now as the king observes his cupbearer's face, he says, for what, what, what do you, what's your request? And Nehemiah, he doesn't immediately say, here's my request, here's what I need you to do, O king. He says this, it says this, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now please see this. He's received God's burden. And he's been praying for four months. And he's had that answer to prayer, but in the king's presence, he goes to prayer again. But I want you to see this too. This wouldn't have been a lengthy prayer. This is, wouldn't have been his day and night prayers. He's standing in front of the king. The king has asked the question. This is what I call an arrow prayer. And he's in an emergency. And there's the possibility that this king could execute him. If he gets this role. And he simply says to the Lord. Lord help me. Lord help me. You know, I want to tell you something with regards to this. Maybe you get yourself into positions at times, and maybe you do need to shoot up one of these arrow prayers to the Lord. But let me say this, and I say this carefully tonight. Make sure that you aren't just sending up an arrow prayer that hasn't been backed up by continuous prayer for a matter. You see, Nehemiah had prayed for this matter for a long time before. It was backed up with four months of prayer. This wasn't the first time that he spoke to the Lord about the matter. He had been before the Lord already. He had been walking with God already. But on this occasion, he needed to ask the Lord for help. You know, when I was preparing to come here to Grange, I was given great advice. And I think it's something that I will try my best to practice throughout my ministry. I was told this, Peter, every time the phone rings, every time you go to knock someone's door to visit them, you just ask the Lord for help and wisdom before you go in, before you answer the call. A little arrow prayer. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. Help me to do this for you. Each of us can do that, but if I'm doing that without spending time before the Lord in prayer, well, those prayers are futile because the Lord knows my heart and the Lord knows each of our hearts. Don't spend your time sending up just emergency prayers. Spend time with him. Speak with him often. We've spoken about this so much in the early weeks. And the Lord has taught us so much about prayer in each of our series that we've been doing. But let me say how important it is to know that Nehemiah, he continued in prayer. And he turns to the king. And it's amazing the answer to his prayer. You see in verse 5, Nehemiah's request has sent me to the city of Judah. So that I can rebuild it. And you know this required the king to do a U-turn. And rescind a previous edict that he had made on the walls of Jerusalem. You see a Taxerces of Nehemiah 2 is the same king to whom the Samaritan Rahim had sent a letter to. About the rebellious city of Jerusalem which was troublesome to the kings and provinces and a place of rebellion from ancient times. That's found in Ezra 4 and verse 15. And a Taxerces, he had said and made this order, it says, this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. He did not want this city rebuilt. He didn't want Jerusalem rebuilt at this stage. 
because he didn't see it was causing so much trouble for the other kings. And we read about that in Ezra 4. But this king was in the hand of Almighty God, the God of heaven. And God had placed Nehemiah just where he was needed. God has his people everywhere, you know. God has his people right where he needs them. There was Nehemiah as the king's cupbearer. And the king's heart has been hardened to rebuilding the walls. But then there's a U-turn. Another answer to prayer. Something that seemed impossible. Something that seemed like it would never happen. I wonder, are you praying for something that you think is impossible? Maybe you're praying for an unsafe spouse. Maybe you're praying for someone to get better. Maybe you're praying for something that's hindering you from serving the Lord. Something impossible. Something that's in your way. Well, let me tell you that as we come to prayer later on, we come to the God who specializes in the impossible. That's the God we come to. It seemed that this king would never turn. But he makes a U-turn in his decision. And Nehemiah has prayed. Keep praying. Maybe your heart breaks for a family member who's been unsafe for years and years. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep pleading with the Lord. The Lord can do the impossible. He was continuously burdened. He was continuously in prayer. He was in continuous preparation. Look at verse 6. It says, So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. You know, I find this next part of the chapter amazing. From verse 6 down through to verse 10, Nehemiah was a forward thinker. He had a strategy. He already had a plan in place. As soon as his, his prayer was answered, he was ready to go. He had thought through meticulously all the details that he would need to have in place, all the help he would need from the king, and he was willing to be used as an answer to his own prayers. He was willing to put feet to his prayers. He knew what his end goal was. He already had worked out exactly what materials he would need from the king. He had already worked out in his mind how long he would need to go. All he would need for preparation, when he was going to come back again, he knew that even the people that he needed to ask permission of to use their timber. And you know, as he puts all these requests before the king, he gives the glory back to God because he says in verse 8, And the king granted me, listening, according to the good hand of my God, Upon me. He recognized that God's hand was upon him. He recognized that he was, had his life in the sovereign hands of Almighty God. And he recognized that yes, the king had done this, but it was an answer to prayer. And God's hand was upon him. Let me ask you, do you have a strategy in the work that you do for the Lord? Or do you just go through the motions? You know, just turn up and do your bit. See what happens. Prepare the last minute. Or I wonder in the work that God's called you to do, do you accumulate all the possible resources for the work of God? Are you looking for God's hand upon you? And are you recognizing God's hand upon you? You see, there's a part for you to play in God's work too. And it isn't just to sit back and see what God will do. You must be prepared to go to work and be involved in the work. And to serve. 
Now we don't have time to go into the full details of the letters and the permissions that Nehemiah needed, but it's amazing how the Lord had prepared the way and all and all the little intricate details, they just <laughs> fell into place. That's scene one. That's scene one. He was in, had a continuous burden, a continuous prayer. He was continuously in preparation. He was always preparing for the work ahead. But we're going to move to scene two, and there he is in Shushan, and that was across to, to, to the right of the screen here, you can see it. And then across to the left was Jerusalem, where he was headed. And of course, down at the bottom left of the screen would have been Egypt, and the, that's the continent of Africa. But he was traveling 700 miles. 700 miles his journey was. That's a long journey. Uh, 700 miles to the next scene. I'm glad we don't have to travel that tonight in a horseback. But here was Nehemiah, and he did that. And he came to the ruins of, at Jerusalem. Came to the ruins at Jerusalem. And we enter scene two. And there's an extremely important verse here. And it's a verse that we could just skip past and forget about. But the verse 11 is absolutely critical. It's a critical verse. It says this. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. What does that mean? When he arrived, he stopped three days and he rested. He stopped and he rested. That's critical. You see, that's the first thing we must learn from this. But he rested. Why three days? He finally made it to Jerusalem. Is he not chomping at the bit to get the work started? Is he not going to throw himself fully at the work now? Why would he take a break from three days? Is he lazy? You know, taking time aside and resting for a while can also be critical in your work for the Lord. I know there are people in front of me tonight and you work so hard, night and day, and you work so hard for the Lord. And I praise God for that. I praise God for an assembly of people who are busy about the Lord's work. But let me remind you how important it is to take moments and rest. To spend time with the Lord. Maybe even just take a day to yourself. You can be so keen in the Lord's work. You can be so busy in the Lord's work that you just run yourself into the ground. You, you can be so busy and it can just come at such a great cost. And this can be applied to all walks of life. Some are so dedicated to their job. Of course, the Bible tells us everything our hand finds to do, we should do it as unto the Lord. So your job is the Lord's work too. But you can be so dedicated to your job or many other things, and it takes up so much of your time that it can come at a cost to your family. It can come as a cost to your marriage. I've heard of pastors and missionaries who have worked so hard and they haven't rested enough that it's ended up affecting their health. Nehemiah was a man of wisdom. And the Spirit of God has preserved this verse in, our, in Scripture tonight to teach us a lesson. Rest is important. Nehemiah, he was wise. And he needed all the strength he could muster for the task ahead. And maybe you give all to the Lord's work. 
And tonight you're a weary soldier. Let me tell you, it's not wrong to rest. It's not wrong to stop. It'll help you be effective in the way you serve the Lord. You know, even the Saviour during his time on earth, showing us his human nature, drew aside and rested a while. He rested a while. I want you to note, secondly, though, he was motivated. He was motivated. Now, we want to see what made Nehemiah tick. You know, maybe if he was arriving and you and I had been in Jerusalem and, and if we watched him arrive there and, and we, we, we had the opportunity to ask him a few questions, we might have said to, to Nehemiah, why on earth did you leave the comfort of the palace? You had a good job. Why, why did you go? Do you like long journeys? You've just traveled 700 miles. What are you coming here for? Are, are, are you a man that likes to do rebuilds? Do you like restoring things? Or are you a builder? What are you here for? Are you here to make a name for yourself? Are you here to build up your king's empire? Is that what you're here for? And you might have had a load of questions to ask Nehemiah. How are you going to fix this? What are you even here for? You're, you're not going to be able to do this. And you might have had many questions to ask Nehemiah. But I wonder what was it that made Nehemiah tick? What, what was it that motivated him? Why was he there? Look at verse 12. And I arose in the night. I and some few men with me. I love this next part. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem. What motivated Nehemiah to come this way? He wasn't someone who had a keen interest in restoring buildings, no. He wasn't even a builder. But he was someone who God had placed a burden in his heart. He says, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart. His only motivation, his only reason for being there was God had placed it on his heart. Now let me ask, what has God put in your heart? What has God put in your heart to do for Grange? For Grogan? For Randall's time? For Balamina? For Tim? For Ahoka? For Porklano? I wonder, has God placed a task on your heart for what you could do for the Grange and the surrounding area? I wonder, is there a burning and a driving ambition in your heart that God has given you? And if you haven't got that burning passion, ask God to give you it. Ask God to put something in your heart. Nehemiah had a passion that God gave him, and that was his motivation. And his motivation was pure. And God has planted you and I here in Grange, here as, a, and as, an, as an assembly in Grange Baptist, and God, if he's planted us here, he's planted you and I here for a purpose. He has you and I here for such a time as this. And what passion, what has God put in your heart to do in Greenwich? You see, we're responsible. We're responsible for the gospel outreach that goes outside these doors. Because God has planted us here. We're responsible for the work that goes on here, for the building up of the saints. Because God has planted us here for such a time as this. 
And maybe you say, well, Peter, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's nothing for me to do here. Well, here's how the hymn writer put it. There's a work for Jesus. Ready at your hand. Tis the task the master just for you is planned. Haste to do his bidding. Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. You see, God has placed each of us here to do something for him. We need to ask God to give us a vision and a strategy as individuals. And we need to ask God to give us a vision and a strategy as a church fellowship. We are here now for a reason. And we need to seek God's face. And we need to ask the Lord what he would have us do in Grange. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through the motions anymore. And get stuck in routine. And have no impact for the Lord in the community around us. I want God to give us as a fellowship a vision and a purpose. And I want him to give us his vision and his purpose. for I want him to put something in our hearts. That we would burn with motivation and passion. Not for our own names. But for his glory alone. You see, I want you to see Nehemiah, and he's going along the ruins, and he's examining the ruins, but I want you to see how he does it. This is important. He does it quietly. Look at the end of verse 12. He went He went on one horse, he tells us, and he's quietly going about his work. He's not looking for men's applause, because in verse 12 he says, I arose in the night, I had some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast I rode upon. He brought a few men. He only brought a few men. And look at verse 16. He says, I hadn't told anybody. He says, the rulers knew not what I was doing. The the Jews knew not what I was doing. The, The priests didn't know what I was doing. The nobles didn't know what I was doing. The rulers didn't know what I was doing. Nobody knew about the work yet. Nehemiah's business here was done quietly. And he was just there to serve the Lord. He didn't want the name for himself. He did it quietly. He did it discreetly. He did the task by night. In verse 12 and verse 13 and in verse 15, it tells us that the task was done at night. And here he is as he comes along the walls and there's prayerful examination of the work that needs to be done. He didn't rush in and get everybody involved straight away. He discreetly examined and considered all that needed to be done. And his examination was done methodically. In verses 13 to 15, you see how he methodically goes up through the walls. You see he visits there. In verse 13, he goes to the gate of the valley. He goes to the dragon well. He goes to the dung port. He goes to each of the broken down parts. He's looking carefully and he moves methodically up the wall. He's thinking, he's considering all that needs to be done. That's what I would imagine he would be doing. He's seeing the task ahead of him. And he takes his time. And he looks about the work. And he's not telling anybody. He's just quietly spending time with himself and the Lord. How often we rush into things with no plan and no method. Look at the meticulous planning that Nehemiah did. You wouldn't do something without a strategy or a plan in your workplace. So why go about the Lord's work in a slapdash fashion? All this was done in quietness. Apart from other, between Nehemiah and the Lord. 
you know, as we close this part of our service this, this, this evening, I wonder, can I ask you, are you in need for the Lord to give you a fresh vision? Are you in need for the Lord to place something in your heart? What are you doing for God? And are you doing it with good strategy? Meticulous planning? Are you serving the Lord with all your heart? Are you filled with passion for his work? Let me tell you, we've spoken about it already in our, our announcements this evening. No part of your work for the Lord could be. It could be to be praying to get somebody along to those special gospel meetings. Our harvest services are a week and a half away. And we have another special gospel evening the following week. And we've planned for these things. But our hope is that unsaved will come in. That the Spirit of God will convict them. And save them, of course, that you don't have to wait until those meetings. We have a gospel meeting every single Sunday night. Let me ask you, who have you invited recently? Who have you encouraged to come in? You know, there's a work that each of us can be doing. We've learned so many things from Nehemiah tonight. Next week, God willing, we'll go back and we'll visit Nehemiah as he finally addresses the Jewish people. And he'll turn to them and he'll tell them to arise and build. And finally you're thinking, Peter has taken his time getting here, you're maybe saying, finally the walls are going to start to get built. Uh, but we're going to visit there next week. But this evening, let's remind ourselves that there's a work for Jesus only you can do. What has God placed on your heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to our hearts tonight. We thank you for this example of Nehemiah that we find in your word. We thank you, Father, of how we read, how his reliance was wholly upon you in everything he did in his life. We thank you that he was a man who was constantly in prayer, who was constantly burdened for your work. We thank you, Father, for even the meticulous planning that he put in. And Father, as we serve you, we want to serve you the best that we possibly can. And while we acknowledge we can't do this without your help, Father, help us to be people who serve you with the best of our ability. As we plan ahead and look to the future, Father, we pray for these events that are coming up that we have planned. Father, we pray for the Harvest Sunday. We pray, Father, that you will bring plenty of folk in who don't know Christ. And Father, we pray that there will be a great harvest of souls. We pray, Father, for the Ukrainian night that's coming up. And Father, we pray for your help at that too. But Father, we just pray indeed tonight that you would place a passion in our hearts, that you would put something in our hearts, that you would give us a work we can do to serve you here in this wee assembly. And as we look outwards and seek to reach the people in Grange, Father, bless us now as we come before your throne in prayer. Father, bless us as we bring our needs as an assembly before you. Father, we pray this in the Saviour's name. Amen.